Well, thanks everyone for listening to the LCR Media Podcast, where we get to know the pros. I'm your host, LCR, also known as Naylor Taliaferro, and I'm here in Wright Manufacturing with Ed Wright from Wright Manufacturing. How's it going, Ed? Good. Good morning. Um, so just, you know, <laughs> I'm going to probably greatly summarize it. So, uh, the last time I was here in, I think 2018, uh, you were not the CEO of the company at the time, correct? Yep. You are now. Um, so, uh, over a simplification, your, your father created, uh, this, this company, right? And now you are the CEO of it, correct? Yep. That's right. They started as a landscape company in the early eighties and we began making accessories. We had a software business for landscape professionals to manage billing, scheduling, and routing, and, and a number of different things evolved to, to making mowers. And uh, over the past couple of years, uh, my parents have phased out of the business and uh, now have taken the reins and uh, moving it to the next level. So how's that transition been? What, what, what did you, well, before you asked that, I guess, or part of that, bef- but what were you doing before that? In 2018, when I met you, that was like your last position before CEO, right? Yeah. So I, my evolution in the company, you know, when I was a kid working here in the summers and that kind of thing, grinding parts, welding pieces, doing assembly. Uh, I studied mechanical engineering. And so I, I did product design for many years and then I started moving towards the market side of our business. So moving into the CE role, CEO role, I knew the business really well at that point. So really it was more mental about, you know, um, transitioning towards being responsible for the entire business rather than, you know, the functions within it. Right. And so, so how has that transition been? <laughs> oh, there's some long days and uh, some stressful days, but overall, I really enjoy what I do and uh, have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I think probably growing up with it and just being a part of the family, this this family business the whole time has probably helped with the transition, right? Where, I mean, there's probably all kinds of stories that we've heard, real and, and fictional, potentially, of people that take over a company and they probably had no idea anything about the company. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was a quote yeah. unquote family business, but they might not have been involved in it. And they just by default, you know, like had to go into it or, or it was left to them or, or whatever, you know, or, or you have, you have the, the sons, you know, or the daughters that kind of like want to kind of take over the business, but they, it's like really all for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? They're just like, they just think they just run everything and know everything. And they just kind (laughs) of, they just cause chaos in the company. So I I feel like, you know, this is a totally different, this, to me, this feels like a, a natural progression of, you know, a family owned business and like you learned all kinds of ins and outs and you went to college for, for, for different things. And, um, you went to college for engineering, right? Yeah. Mechanical engineering. Yeah. Mechanical engineering. So, so you, you, that's why you know your stuff. Like, (laughs) you know, you go to battle on those Facebook groups because you know your stuff, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. And and we have a really good team here and I think that's, that's part of it. You know, it, it wasn't like, uh, when I took on this role that it was, you know, a hollow shell. We had, we have really good people here. Um, our president, I'm the CEO, our president um, really takes care of a huge amount of what we do in terms of our daily operations. And I think our approach is a little bit different. And then in that my role as a CEO, I'm really focused on the product and our customer. I think that's really important. Um, What it does is it makes the business relevant. I think some of the best businesses out there, um, the CEO is closely tied to their product or their service that they're delivering. And, you know, some of the, some of the greats that are out there were, um, you know, I, I think Elon Musk is one of those kinds of people. Um, he spends a huge amount of a huge amount of his time on the front lines of the business with the product, with the customers, and, and what that product is doing. Um, same thing with Apple, uh, Steve Jobs back in the day. Um, for as big of a company it was and the complex of a company it was, he kept himself on the front lines of the user interface of that product, the person who's using it, and that's part of what made Apple a great company. And um, not that I can compare what we're doing necessarily to some of those those companies, but I think the the approach is similar that 
my role and, and what I do and what I bring to the, the company, the value I bring is the product and the value proposition, what we do with the product, how we develop it and support it uh, with our customers. So um, that, that's, that's really um, my approach. And, and like I said, we have a really good team uh, that really keeps up with the, uh, the, the, science, daily, the daily operations. operations. Yeah. <clears throat> so speaking of the team, what, how, how was that transition? Cause I, obviously, you know, you were responsible for certain things before and I responsible for kind of everything, I guess, you know, overall, but I mean, are, are you, are you, did you just take on additional stuff or did you find someone to kind of take on some of your previous role? Uh, yeah. So on the, on the product development side, uh, we've, we've got some great people on that side of the company. And so, um, I'm still involved in, in our design reviews and our design approach and that kind of thing. But in terms of, of the daily aspect there, um, I'm, I'm not quite as involved in, and some of the details of, of the, uh, designs in terms of, you know, stress analysis or you know, some of those items. Um, and then, you know, for the other part of it, I, I was already involved in a lot of those things. And so I took on a couple more things. So what is it? This, this is a good, good opportunity for me actually selfishly to, um, kind of pick the brain of, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, you know, you and I, we've mm -hmm. kind of gone yeah. back for years now. We've met up at various, whether it be the GIE or when I got asked to speak at the OPEI, yeah. I was kind of really blown away. And that was, that was a great opportunity for me and great moment. And you were obviously there with all the other CEOs yeah. and you know, good, VPs yeah, up in Utah. And I, I made a lot of, met a lot of great people, had good connections and also got to hang out with folks such as yourself that I, I already kind of got to know through social media mm -hmm. and the industry. Um, so, uh, but, but, so I kind of know, I, you know, most people I know as, as a CEO or, or whatever other role they are, I, I've never, uh, other than you know, someone that has transitioned like through multiple roles. So, um, any other CEO that I would interview, I would not probably be able to ask this question or even know that this was even a question asked. So what, what, what are like, what are some of the new things that you have to do as a CEO versus before? Oh, good question. I mean, I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, but a big piece of it is the, the, the business is the same. You know, we, we make the same products, we serve the same customers, we do all those kinds of things. Um, but there's an aspect of it where mentally you shift from, you know, sort of being a cog in the wheels and, and bring value in that sense to a, a role of responsibility. So you, you carry that weight of responsibility and um, anything that gets screwed up is ultimately at some <laughs> right. level your fault. And right. Same thing with, with the success. Um, so I think the responsibility piece of it really is the biggest shift and daily what you do in some, some sense doesn't necessarily change a whole lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're still coming to the same place. You're still, you know, you might have a different office maybe, but you know, you're still coming to the same building, doing pretty much the same thing, working with the same people. But yeah, I, I can, I can see basically so, it all falls back on you as the ultimate moral of the story. Yeah. And, and I think there's an, another element to that just a little bit. And that's that, you know, people say, Hey, I want to work for myself or whatever. Right. And so I think it's one of those kinds of things where being the CEO of a company, it's not that you work for yourself it's much, much more relevant that you work for your customers. And um, sometimes that's a lot harder than working for a boss. It's certainly much more complicated. Right. And so um, I think it, it's more than ever, you know, you have those pressures that you have to meet and take care of and, and respond to. Yeah. Was this something that you foresaw happening? Like, was this kind of part of your progression in the company at any point? Or was it more of like, a, like the previous few years type thing? that you realize this was going to be your destiny? Um, good question. I think, um, 
you just over the years, I, I enjoyed what I was doing and that was a, a progression. And, um, you know, it was conceivable that this is where things would lead. Uh, but I really think it's, it was mostly about, you know, working hard every day and, and being relevant and doing the right things in an evolution, uh, to this point. And, um, you know, there's a lot more runway ahead of me as well. You know, it's, I've, I've only just started and I'm fairly young in, right. in, um, in this role. Yeah, that was going to be my, my kind of final question on this particular topic. Where where do you see yourself in this company? And, and are you thinking that far ahead? Like what, you know, what, what, maybe there's time for a change for you? Like who might take things over? <laughs> if that's yeah. even something you think about, am I going way too far ahead of myself? <laughs> I mean, yeah, those, those thoughts definitely cross my mind. And I think we all have to appreciate that um, life is short. And we, at some level, we are, we're carrying a baton, right? right? And we all have our, our leg in the race. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm 36 right now, so I'm pretty young to be concerned, concerned much with these things. And I I don't spend a lot of time thinking of it, but it's just now becoming a thought in my life that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, I have to pass this baton on. Right. And so how do I, you know, do things well to lead towards that end? But um, do you see it continuing to be a family business? Because I know you've got a, a growing family, right? How many kids do you have now? We had this I've, whole I've five kids, kids. Yep. five kids. We had this whole like <laughs> I was, I was here in 2018, I believe. It's 2021 now, and and I. I did a video version of this interview, but you know, we talked a much broader scale. We're going to kind of dial it in a little bit more for this podcast episode, but if you want to listen to all of that and you know, Ed wasn't the CEO at that time, uh, but the whole family tree and history and all of the kids, man, there's a lot of rights out there. Um, so go ahead on my uh, YouTube channel at LCR and, and check that video out. So it's a great time. There's also a tour of the facility, which it's still pretty much the same. Just, you know, move things around a little bit, uh, just to adjust to different things. So, uh, go ahead and check that out. But yeah, yeah, you have five kids. I mean, and you have siblings of your own and, you know, so it's like, are, are any of them in the mix of like, who might be the next CEO? Like, yeah. Um, so I, so from, from the early days of this company, um, we brought in numerous investors and those types of things. So there's a number of people that own, right. It's a privately held company. And, um, there's, there's a handful of people that have the majority interest in the company. And so, you know, when you have outside investors, you have to run the business in a fair and equal way. And so, um, although the origins of the company come from a family background, it's not necessarily exactly how we run it today. Um, I've got a number of siblings. I have um, one brother that's in the business today. He's, he's taken interest and, in, in, you know, just developed the skill and capability. He's very good at what he does in a particular area. And so, you know, that's fine. I have no expectation that my kids would necessarily be in the business or not. You know, I think what I want for them is, um, you know, whatever career path that they find most interesting, wherever that Mm -hmm. falls. Um, it also means that, um, just being very cautious that the notion of family business doesn't lead to nepotism. You know, there, there really shouldn't be any favoritism given to somebody because of, uh, their family connection to the business. And I think that's really important to our employees that, you know, they develop skills, they move, uh, their careers move up to the next level and those, those types of things. And you, you really can't have uh, a family interference with those things that are very, very important to create that equal opportunity um, for, for everyone. So yeah, we, we're a company that's family orange, origins. Uh, we have um, family values, but it doesn't necessarily mean that structurally today we're, we're a family business. And I think in my, my role in this business, um, I don't necessarily see, my, my hope is that I can do this as long as I can work. Right. And um, I really do believe that 
some of the best companies in existence are the ones where there's proprietor involvement. You know, um, a publicly held companies, there's a place for that, especially as companies get bigger and bigger. Um, but the thing about public companies is, you know, oftentimes there becomes a, a, a prioritization to creating value for the owners rather than seeing business as a, a hub that creates mutual value for all constituents, whether that's owners or the customers or dealers or employees or whatever, right? So, so privately held companies, they have that ability to um, be that kind of an organization that's really looking at it itself as being a catalyst to creating values across that spectrum. Yeah. Awesome. Well said. And uh, I, I just, I guess I was going to, the previous thing was, it was ending it, but you know, as you talk, just more follow-up questions keep coming up because you have a great perspective on that and, you know, nepotism. And that's kind of what I, I guess I was alluding to before where some companies, it kind of seems that way that, you know, the owner's son or daughter, whoever, and it's like, oh, they don't even know anything about the business, mm-hmm. but it took over. And it's like, is that really the best thing? So I definitely can appreciate um, the strategy that you're referring to. Uh, and was that something that was kind of passed down to you like before when you were working in the company? Was that the mentality or was it just yeah. kind of like whatever works? Like, yeah. I mean, if you want to work for us, you can, but you don't have to type thing. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, shift started at five thirty, and you got, um, I think it was one tardy a month and you're fired. And, <laughs> nice. So, so you had to be there on time. I bumped up against that a couple of times, but uh, never, well, never yeah. got fired. But, you know, it was very clear <laughs> from a young age that the, the rules that apply to anybody apply to me. Right. And, you know, I've got to pull my own weight. And that was sure, certainly um, the model there. And so I, I think that was valuable. And I think that's part of also how I see things today um, in that way. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, kind of keep moving along here. I see in your shirt, you have the, the ZXT. What yeah. is that? That's the new latest and greatest from Wright Manufacturing, Wright Mowers? Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. That's a new Z. And I think um, in, in terms of talking about that Z, it's probably helpful to go over a little bit of a background, right? So we invented yeah. this this mower that was a stand-on mower. It was really the size of a walk-behind at the time. In fact, our first mower was a Skag pistol grip hydro walk-behind chopped up and rearranged to be a stand-on mower. <laughs> and so it really was a walk-behind size machine yeah. um, that we, we began producing. And then, you know, the stand-ons grew. We became, we made an effort through our middle years to make, be a full-line manufacturer. We made a ton of different models um, addressing a lot of different market segments. I think what I see us doing today is bringing focus to our lineup really to um, the individual that's running a revenue-generating business. And that's, I, I say that because I think it's distinctly different than saying we build commercial product. There's a lot of commercial product that's sold out there that, is not necessarily going into the hands of somebody who's using it to run a business. It could be somebody who's got five or six acres and they buy a commercial spec unit. So there's a difference between the commercial spec and a machine and an ecosystem that you're using to support the commercial model. Um, somebody who's running a revenue generating business, their time is really important to them. Downtime has got to be really minimal. The life cycle cost of the machine is really important. The level of su- support, you know, you need that machine fixed, you know, day of or by the next day. Whereas if you're managing a property, three or four days, get something repaired, whatever, it can be a little bit more flexible. It also means that a ton of our customers are recurring customers. So if you sell a mower to somebody who owns a property and they may run that mower for 10 years, whereas um, on, the, on the revenue generating side of it, our customers, they, you know, they need continuous replacement equipment and significant amount of our customers are recurring customers. And so I say our best marketing money is our um, support, not necessarily our advertising. Hmm. Well, 
we we had this better mouse trap. I'm getting a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Sorry, but <laughs> that's you know. fine. That's a podcast <laughs> meant for you know rabbit holes <laughs> going in the weeds. <laughs> So, so to bring it back around, so we had this original uh, stand-on mower the size of a walk behind, and it was a better mousetrap. It was a niche product, and um, we were in an entrepreneur stage as a company. Then we got to sort of our, our middle years there where we're making a full line, and right now I'm bringing focus to the commercial segment. On the commercial side of the business, um, I think we need to fill it out more in terms of riders. Uh, riders, especially for larger areas, um, can be more effective, especially if you're bagging. You know, the stand-on mowers are pretty difficult to bag with just because of the footprint where you're going to put the material. Yeah. Can't put that big of a hopper on it. So um, a large rider made sense in terms of what we're doing to support um, these commercial landscape customers. And um, so the ZXT, it's a big machine. It's uh, We offer it as small as a 52-inch deck, but really the frame is, is built bigger Yeah, for, for bigger decks. So 61, 72-inch decks, 40 horsepower. It's got the oil guard system on it. So the um, engine oil change is at 500 hours. You know, once in the middle of summer, we might say. Hydro system's got a 1,000-hour oil change on it. <clears throat> Big tires, lots of traction. The seat has a lot of suspension in it, six inch, inches of travel, and the control handles move with it. So it's real comfortable you know, to be operating pretty fast. Um, we also know the people that are running revenue generating business, they spend a lot of time on their mowers consistently. Whereas somebody who might buy a commercial spec mower and mow their own property weekly, they're not spending that amount of time themselves on the machine. So comfort's a big factor. That's, that's a lot of what we're addressing there. So it's definitely top of the market in terms of spec, but I think we're also fairly competitively priced for, for what's, what's in the machine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I remember a, a really popular YouTube video um, from years and years and years ago. Like I think it was something about like why use a stand on mower or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. was the title. Yeah. I mean that like that had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of thousands of views. I mean, I don't know what it's at now, but it, it was a, a popular video. And in that video, you know, you, you had a sit down zero turn and a stand on mower and you were just like really kind of in, in a political way bashing the sit down <laughs> thing you know how you get up and your back sore all yeah, day and doing yeah. all of a sudden and you know you're fresh and you're standing over the mower everything. so it was all about the stand down mower and and you know and not the the sit down and, and here you are coming up with the biggest baddest you yeah know, that's right sit down so what but i i feel like uh you know the suspension and, and the cushioning and all that comfort in the seat platform was that a factor yeah because a factor. because you're like well wait a minute you know we we're all about stand on mowers and we went all all out on this we can't really you know backpedal and now we're like the zero turn folks you yeah know? i don't think we're backpedaling and i think if you look at, at what's happening in the market you know 90 percent of what's sold out there is a rider you can't deny that um and stand-ons have a very important place for someone who's doing rapid turnovers so if, you're, if your average cycle time is somewhere between 15, 25 minutes a lawn, you really don't want to be getting in and out of a, a sit-down machine. Um, if, you're, if you're mowing soccer fields or something like that where the ground's pretty level, it's not terribly bumpy, you have really good suspension, that kind of thing, then a rider makes sense. Um, so there's definitely a place for it. Again, bagging's another factor as well. So yeah, I definitely don't think we're talking out of two sides of our mouth. And <laughs> that's also why you know, we're not making a 36-inch Right, you're not making a for those small properties. It just doesn't make sense to sit down. Right, 
So basically that this is this is intended for those big large properties where the guys and girls are on on that mower for hours yep. upon hours. So you're making it as comfortable as possible, as heavy duty and efficient as possible, and as fast and as powerful as fa- possible. So they can just they can just blow through these large properties and, yep. and not yeah. you know feel dead at the end of the day as much as possible, and also be beginning it done you know efficiently to make money. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. How long was that thought process, you know, like, was this like a seeing like the need in the market type thing and, you know, or was this something that you thought about developing for a little while? Yeah. Uh, so I think it was about 20 years ago, I built our first prototype rider and, um, wow, there was a, there was a few things that were in that prototype that I really wanted to see come to market, but didn't really make sense through, through the years. Mm-hmm. And so this this new ZXT rider gave me the opportunity to bring some of those things. To nice. service. So that was exciting. But you know, we, in, in, in those years we had, we had a, um, a sort of medium, larger size rider and sort of a medium, smaller size rider. We still have a medium, smaller size rider. So we've, we've been in the rider business, but we didn't, um, we didn't come at it with all the features that are in the ZXT, especially in terms of the comfort and the, the maintenance cycles and those types of things. So we've been there. So I think um, this is, this is up in the game. For us. And so what, what, what is the turnaround time kind of for, for you guys when you do like have an idea of like either updating a, a, a current, you know, prototype of a mower to completely, you know, uh, reinventing one or like, what, what's that turnaround time since you kind of like manufacture the stuff yourself here, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So we design the equipment here. We build the equipment here. We do all of our own fabrication. So we're really flexible. Uh, we can, if, if the machine's not working the way it should and we get your reports from, a dealer or from a warranty claim or something like that, we can put that right into use and, and change our product even day of. Wow. Um, our normal process is, is probably more around two weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have direct control of, of what we're building here for sure. And when we come up with a, when we do redesign. So every, every so many years we'll refresh a product. We'll put updates into it. We, mm-hmm. you know, have sort of our general approach that we might have for subsystems, fuel systems, electrical systems, whatever. And so every couple of years, every product goes up to a gen level to kind of meet, you know, where we're at with, with, gotcha. with technology. So uh, when we do those redesigns, um, those, those might be nine month projects from the time we start till the time we're in production. When we start something, something from scratch, it might be a little over a year, maybe 14 months, something like that. It's a little bit seasonal. So if we're, if we're developing a product in the off season, it might delay our testing. Mm-hmm. If we're like on spot on a perfect season, we might, we might get there in 12 months. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I want to start talking about um, robotic mowers, but first I want to take a quick break. Kanabi Outdoor Power and Terry's Small Engine are family owned and operated and conveniently located in Midlothian, Virginia. They can provide you with the latest and best in outdoor power products to make your outdoor living more enjoyable. Combine this wide array of selections with their friendly and knowledgeable staff and they're convinced Kanabi Outdoor Power and Terry's Small Engine will become your only stop for all of your outdoor power needs. Go to terrysmallenginerepair.com or click the link in the show notes for locations and more details. Hey guys, it's Naylor. Has there ever been a guest that you were listening to on a podcast that you wanted to ask a question that just wasn't asked 
Well, now's your opportunity. Send me an email at lawncarerookie at gmail.com. Tell me who you want me to interview, what question you want to ask them, and for that matter, if there's any questions you have for me that you want me to answer, and I may give you a call and answer the questions live on the air. And now the LCR Media Podcast continues. All right, we're back here with Ed Wright at Wright Manufacturing. We were just going to start talking a little bit about robotic mowers. I've been seeing a bunch about this on um, social media. I saw Paul. Paul was like in Atlanta, I guess, and like stumbled upon this whole thing. And you know, and I don't know, remember if he talked about it with you when he was up here over the summer. But I've I've just seen a lot of buzz about the robotic mower uh, with the right mower. So can you just kind of give us the backstory of all that? Sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very interesting evolution of things. Um, you know, I think some previously before I'll say previously as if it was a long time ago, but it was really probably a year ago, maybe. Time it seems like a lot happens in a year. Oh, I know, especially the, this especially year. Especially <laughs> this year, yeah. Twenty twenty. You know, you guys know if you if you, <laughs> you guys know if you're born at you know if, if you survived it. You yeah, know what it is. Yeah. Um. So I really thought that we were going to see electrification of equipment come to full scale sooner than we would see autonomous operation of commercial mowers. But you know, the, the labor market was really tight. It still is tight in certain ways, and um, it's. It's we have cruise control on car for cars for a reason, right? It makes the job easier, makes it a little more productive. Now we have the um, you know the, the the trailing distance settings you can have in your cruise control and whatnot, and and so I think what we saw is is that the relevant need for mowers that have some of this autopilot or cruise control capability becomes more important. And I describe that as distinctly different than a machine that's intended to run week round or all month long on its own. Uh, so what we're talking about here is a mower that's intended for uh, supporting weekly maintenance to show up on the site and you, you maintain the property. Cutting the grass is not the only thing that we do as landscapers. What we do is we make the property look great. And there's so much more to to that than just the mowing. Mm-hmm. In fact, any the amount of time on a, a lot of properties, there's more time spent doing some of the other things that make the property look good than, right. than the mowing. Some, right. The like, mowing can be like 40% of the time on the job or right. 30% of the time on the job. Exactly. Most of the time mowing is like the, the least of your worries, you know, especially yes. if you have the right, right, you know, equipment, right mower for the, for mm-hmm. the property. Yep. So I think it's really important that we recognize that, you know, for a long time or forever, there's important value in being on the site every week. And that's something where the, the small bots type, you know, the turtle bot type mowers aren't fully addressing. Somebody still has to come there and, and, you know, do all the other things that really make it look great. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for us, I think we saw sort of this autopilot capability is important. Um, I have a little bit of software coding background. So just enough to get nerdy about it. <laughs> and I was doing a lot of research and I was trying to nail down, okay, what's my future technology path for this? You know, what, what are the investments that we need to make? What kind of people do we need to hire? What skills? Uh, what's what's the business model? What's the return on investment? You know, these kinds of things. And I got to the point where I was pretty well convinced that we need a very specific um, technology approach, the software uh, model. Of, you know, I was committed to, to thinking that was the way to do it. And you know, I was really solidly convinced that it was about adding automation to a full size commercial mower in this thing about weekly maintenance. And in that research, uh, I, I stumbled across uh, what Greensies work. And um, 
I reached out to them right away and, and we met right away and, and I realized that what they were doing was a lot of the same stuff that I said we needed to do. We needed a full size mower. We needed it to be, to supplement what we do like auto autopilot, right? So you can drive the mower on a slope, you can cut a perimeter, you can put it in the trailer, you can drive in the shop, you can do all those normal things with the mower. But when you enter a large open area, it can do the inside on, on its own. Now I hadn't gotten, you know, where they were way ahead of us in terms of how do you actually do that? Yeah. So what, what was Green Z doing? Like what was their thing when you stumbled upon them in your research? Yeah. So let me introduce what Green Z is. So Green Z is um, a company that was formed a couple of years ago for the explicit purpose of developing the software robotic capabilities to control a variety of types of mowing equipment. Okay. Um, so their, their aim wasn't to build a mower. Their aim was to the software. put the software on the control in systems yeah. in a mower that allowed to become automated. Um, um, it's a startup uh, out of Atlanta. Charles or uh, CBQ is the um, CEO driving that company. He's doing a great job of um, bringing um, customers into the perspective of the development because you can always have a great idea and bring it to market and then it's irrelevant. Right. So I think he's doing a really great job of keeping what they're doing relevant and every day we're changing something to you know in, increase the relevancy. Um, so I, I forgot the question, but I'm no, just no, no, no. Uh, I was just yeah. Crazy. So it seems like the two of you guys were like a match made in heaven. So they were working on the whole software part, right? But not the mowing part. You know, not the not the equipment mower mm -hmm. part, which is what you specialize in. And you were trying right. to get into the software thing because you had the idea and was trying to dabbling around with it a little bit. But then you found Greensy, and it seemed like you were like, "Wow, this we we could we could work together and make this happen." Is am I yeah. saying that right? So exactly. Uh, you know, they were. They had several different styles of mowers that they were working to, they successfully running. Um, certainly electric mowers are easier to automate because you just tap into the wires and you can you know, possess control over it. Whereas a mechanical mower, a couple more challenges because you have to have the control systems to make it, make it do what it's supposed to do. Right. So I think um, we, we saw a great opportunity where their expertise was in software. Our expertise was making mowers and we can, we can address the issues of the control systems to, to get that to work. So, um, over the past year, we've built a, a number of pilot units running around. They work, they're working successfully. Uh, so on our side of it, we, we built a robotic-ready machine. So our hand controls, it's drive-by-wire. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a module that controls all the functions of the engine, the clutch, the, the platform, all these, all these things, right? So once we're drive-by-wire on our side, then GreenZ can possess control of the machine when it's ready to go into autonomous mode. So the, the product that we have and we're developing today is our standard ZK, full-size, very productive, stand-on mower. And um, the, the, what you do with it is you take the machine, you go on the property, you hit record, and you mow your perimeter. When you come back to the beginning point, you point at the direction you want your stripes to go, you get off the machine, and it fills in the middle. And um, while it's filling in the middle, you know, you can be doing something else uh, yeah. around, the, around the job site. Right. Um, our intention right now is that you, you wouldn't walk away from the machine and not continue to look after it. Right. Um, the, the current build has um, six stereo vision cameras on it. So these cameras can perceive anything that's not flat ground around it. And the current um, level, if anything gets near, it'll shut down. So if it gets near a tree, it will shut down. Now there's some early work going on right now that's successfully working where if it encounters a tree, it'll go around a tree. Mm. Um, and so that really adds a lot of flexibility to it. Right. And then, you know, there's, there's a roadmap of a, a number of pretty neat capabilities that we can build into. One of the most challenging being 
that this machine at some point needs to have the ability to recognize different types of objects. So I say, um, a ball in the road, in the, in the grass, yeah, basketball, you know, in, in some, some things like, um, you could have a yard gnome or you could have a person standing there right? and you need the computer to recognize that a yard gnome, you want to mow around it, but a person you don't want to mow around it. (laughs) Right. A person you want to shut down. Yeah. Let them get out the way. So right now we just shut down, you know, anytime it's really robust. It's actually pretty amazing how fast it can shut down. Yeah. Um, but the, the next level is to add this perception so it can recognize these types of things right. and, and whatever. So, yeah. so far, um, you know, the, there's been machines that are out cutting uh, properties every week. And um, it's interesting to see by, by span, bystanders and, you know, just the whole work cycle and whatnot. And it's, it's working really well. I think the one thing to clarify is that um, our aim here isn't to take jobs away. Our aim is not necessarily, this, this technology doesn't address somebody who's mowing uh, residential properties through a subdivision. Uh, really what we're looking at here are these sites where it's 10, 20, 30 acres, a lot of mowing, something that doesn't really make sense to bring a large tractor on site for. and um, Or pay a guy to stand on a mower yeah. for 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And as a business owner, you know, this is an opportunity for you to be able to do that work in a much safer, user-friendly, you know, not the, the vibration, the noise of, you know, sitting on that mower all day doing steady mowing, which is a lot harder than moving job to job because you get to move around a little bit more, right? <clears throat> so it lets you automate that piece of it. It lets you be more competitive. It lets you make more money uh, by, by automating the big areas. Right. And, you know, we talk about the struggles with, with labor shortages all the time in this industry since probably the beginning of time. I mean, any kind of outdoor labor, mm-hmm. you know, construction, building houses, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the easy, it's not as easy as finding someone to ring a register, you know, yeah. in, in mm-hmm. a store. Um, but you know, and the people that think, like you said, to your point, you know, we're not, t- you're not trying to take jobs. It's like, okay. And, and, and I just said, you know, have that mower on that big property, instead of paying a guy to stand there for 30 minutes to an hour, you know, and wear and tear in his body, whatever, but it's not to get rid of him or to replace him. It's to reposition him to a more profitable area of right. that property exactly. to, to do the detail work. So you need less people, but you can still pay them well or pay them even more potentially because mm-hmm. yep. they're responsible for that mower, that property. So it's just kind of changing the thinking really. And, and I thought about that with like the smaller residential, like, you know, those little like Roomba like mm-hmm. type mowers. Yep. It's like, oh man, we're going to be out of business. Well, no, someone still has to be responsible for those mowers. Someone still needs to trim and edge and blow things yep. off. I mean, those mowers, a mower can only do so much, right? Yep. So regardless of how big it is or how robotic it is or whatever, ultimately they're still trimming, edging and blowing off as to be done and maintenance of that equipment and so on. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of thinking about how could we evolve with that. And, and ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's easier than trying to fight, you know, labor and, and, and get people yeah, to come in right. and not call out and all this kind of stuff and injure themselves and everything else. So, you know, so in our process here in, in our factory, all the time we try to automate stuff and eliminate a role, we, but we're not, we've never, we've never let go an employee because we've automated something. What we've done is we've been able to make a more competitive product. We've been able to make a better mower at a lower price by an evolution of doing these things. And it hasn't affected our, our ability to, to hire people, employ people. So when, when do you think that, like, what do you and Green Z 
think of as far as like when this will be out for like, are you obviously intending on selling it eventually to, to probably the bigger companies that have the bigger acreages, like you said, not like the solo guys or the small crews that are doing a ton of residential, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's probably more work. It's like putting a big mower on a small yard. You're turning around more than you're actually getting stuff done. So it kind of goes, goes in that category. So what, who are you trying to market this to and, and when is it the, are you planning on having it ready by or hoping to have it ready by? Yeah. So right now we're, we're building pilot units that really prove the concept, prove the reliability and that kind of thing. And we'll move towards pilot fleets. And so we'll, we'll handpick a customer that's um, really keen on developing this. We know it's going to have tons of problems, right? The point is let's fail faster. We fail faster. You learn more, you develop a better product. So we want to fail faster in a controlled way, right? right. <laughs> we don't want to sell somebody something that we then can't support. We want to target a very specific application that we know we can provide the level of support to take care of. And if the machine's out of commission for some reason, you know, there's other ways to keep the business going. So we're going to work with that model for a while until we really feel like this is a machine that we have the, the support figured out for, the reliability's there, all the problems have been addressed we failed fast enough that um, we feel pretty comfortable with then you know, making it something where anybody can buy. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a really, really interesting phase. That's probably more, more than a year out or, or maybe, maybe even two years out mm-hmm. before uh, there's a retail product that you, you could buy. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a progression of, right. of this. I'm also really excited for when right now, let's say the current technology is mostly good for five acres and up. I'm really excited for when that number moves down maybe four acres, three acres, two acres. And um, so many of our customers are doing residential properties. Stand-on mowers are really good for those dense routes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to when this technology begins to, to become relevant for that type of property. When it starts having the ability to have good perception of coming up with its own stripes and really good about going around obstacles, um, good about recognizing where the grass is being thrown so it can manage all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, I have an interesting segment um, at the end where we get to randomly, uh, you know, you get to randomly pick cards for some just just off topic questions, just okay. to keep it fun, lighthearted. But before we do that, I just wanted to kind of sum things up from a lawn landscaping perspective. And, you know, 2020, as we alluded to earlier in this episode, has been a challenging year for those that don't know what we're talking about for whatever reason. You know, we had a pandemic. We still are in the pandemic. So there's a lot of social distancing, a lot of, you know, being extra clean and sanitized and just being as safe as possible from a, um, you know, like a a germ, I guess, perspective. Um, How has that affected from, you know, your company from a manufacturing perspective? I know there's so many levels of that, but you know how it affected personnel and this oh, and yeah. that. But I mean, how what what are some of the things that people listening that maybe don't even realize are like, oh, whatever. You know, they're big companies; they'll be fine. Like, what 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 have you been hit the hardest with? I mean, yeah, big big companies will be fine to some extent, but also big companies can fail bigger and faster in, right. in some ways. I think we find ourselves just ourselves really just be fortunate that we're an industry that is not as much driven by the economy. Or as much as it is by weather, you know, we're farmers in, at some level here. Right. When, when there's droughts, that's a really big hit to the business. When it rains steadily, it's really good for us and for you. Uh, you know, you, you have more mowing weeks out of the year. You have more, more work to do. So 
And ultimately, um, the grass always grows and the leaves always yeah. fall, like I say. So you have that. And it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic. doesn't matter who's, right. who's you know, the president of the United States. None of that stuff. <laughs> the grass is going to, nature's going to still find a way. So like you said, our, our industry is unique with that, where mm-hmm. it's it's been a little more pandemic proof. I mean, right. we, have to, we have to adjust and adapt, yep. obviously. And the bigger the company, the more adjustments, even from a landscaping lawn care perspective, you know, companies that, you know, like the, 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 the Corey Ballard's with the perfect cuts, you yep. know, the world out there. They've got, you know, 20 crews or whatever the heck it is, you know, uh-huh. they, that's a huge operation. So they, they got to have all the social distancing and yep. minimize the guys in the trucks and masks and all this kind of stuff. So obviously that impacts them, but they're still busy. They're still getting a ton of work. So our industry, I don't think has been hit in that respect, but I think yep. you probably as a manufacturer have a different perspective on, on that, like have been affected more than us out there just getting stuff done. We might inadvertently be like, alluding to what you're probably going to say sure. is we need to order a bunch of new new mowers or something and it's like it's slow coming we're like what's going on you know and that would be because of well, what you're probably going to say yeah so let me let me first talk about the market and then i'll talk about our our operations and the reverberations of some of these things so um retailing out of dealers has been a really good year for most manufacturers in this business um commercially but probably even more so on the prosumer side so there's a lot of people and the countryside that had more time to, to invest in their properties and, you know, instead of going on vacation, they bought right. a mower, you know? So, um, it's been a really, really good year in terms of mower and retail sales. Now the challenge has been that pretty much the entire supply chain stopped for a month and a half this past spring. So, you know, it's different States did all their different things for, right. for different reasons. Uh, but if you just take the sum total, total of it all, whether a manufacturer was shut down or not, their components were behind by a month and a half. So uh, most of the industry is short on product. And, um, you know, so production was down and sales were up. So we're right now as an industry heading into a spring where there's going to be massive shortages of everything. Hmm. And those supply chains haven't caught up. So, um, I mean, this, this, this morning, you know, we were picking through our plans because we don't have enough parts coming in and, Later today, we're going to shut down one line. Monday, we're not going to run. And I've never seen it this bad. There's significant reverberations to the supply chain. And it's as basic as as rubber. It's as basic as getting standard spec steel. It's engines. It's transmissions. It's You go down the line, and the components are just not there. Uh, the price of steel is up like 40%. So there's pretty significant reverberations happening on the supply chain side where they can't just turn the mills on. Like, you know, you got to get the ore going, you got to, everything has to pick up speed. And so there is a, on the, in, and it's not just outdoor power equipment related. Most manufacturing in the U.S. is at some level struggling with significant supply chain issues. So this spring, uh, there will be a legitimate shortage of mowers. It's going to be a lot of people repairing what they have because, what they want isn't in the de- in their dealer showroom and just not available, um, or they got to wait for it. To, mm-hmm. You'll pre-order it, wait right. to get it. And so we're gonna we're gonna face a lot of those kinds of issues uh, in in the market. And in the in the thirty years I've been around this, for sure, this is the worst I've ever seen in terms of shortages and availability issues across the board. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of our operations here, um, you know, COVID has been a very real thing to us here. We've had um, you know a lot of people getting sick at some level, it's a pretty bad sickness if you get it. Fortunately, we haven't had anybody that seems to have any, you know, lifetime um, effect to it. And um, I think we're also fortunate that 
we work in an environment where, although we were in one facility and indoors, we have a lot of airspace here. So, you know, it, it's free flowing air, you know, high ceilings, these kinds of things. So um, in terms of, of what we're doing in here, we, we, we don't have any sign that any person's gotten sick from another person on the job site, which, which we're very thankful for. I just, it, it, to, to wrap it up, I think if we look over this past year, it's been a really crazy year. Yeah. We, you know, you never expect these types of shutdowns or shortages or these kinds of things. Right. And we're just um, really fortunate. And, you know, I can't take credit for it. And I, I, I believe that, um, that there's a God and he's blessed us in, in, in some way. And I don't know why, you know, there's other industries that are really hit hard in significant ways. You look at travel and tourism and, and, and yeah. restaurant businesses. I mean, I, I just feel terrible for some of these people because they're caught in a place. They just, there's no way out, you know, right. and they're all in financially. Yeah. So um, I think in our industry, we've got a huge amount to be thankful for. And, um, you know, we just keep plugging along. Yeah. So where, where do you, so the, the second part of that then to wrap this up is where do you see the industry going now? Like with, with, with all this that you just said going on, what do you, how do you see the future of the industry? Well, let me just first speak to like the, the larger perspective. Um, I think that you look at what has happened this past year and it's really affected urban areas in a big way. There's some really complicated issues there. I don't fully understand them all. I think when you look in your rural or suburban areas, they're much less affected. You look at the social distancing factors and these kinds of things. You know, mass just, transit. Yeah, people are naturally spread out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you look at single family homes right now, the prices are up. Those, those types of things, that's very good for the landscape industry. And I think it's a lot of those trends. I think overall, we're probably going to see less, less um, people in urban areas for many years. Um, it, it kind of hit a peak and I think it's probably going to kind of level out for a while. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really good for the landscaping industry. I think it's a, it's a strong industry. I think it's an industry where, um, entrepreneurs that get into it, if they really apply their minds and their work ethic to their business, there's a huge opportunity for them. Um, so I think it's a good business with a lot of room for growth ahead of it. I think, um, that there, there's more technology entering the space. So you, you look at the, the business tools, the apps, these different things that can help support how you run a business. You see landscape companies being more sophisticated with their marketing. Um, we, we talked about equipment, equipment advancing, you know, there's, you look at the handheld equipment space and electrification there, it's moving a lot faster, especially the machines that would have traditionally had pretty small gas tanks on them. Great opportunities for switching out to electric. So we've got neat technology entering the the industry. I, I, I think it's a great industry with a lot of, a lot of, a potential opportunity to it. Now, if we talk about where the industry's headed, you know, specifically to products that are in, in my space, and I, I can't really speak, to, I'm, I would be out of turn to say, I really understand consumer equipment, mowing equipment, landscaping equipment. Um, I understand the parts, but you know, big box retail and those types of things, it's a completely different mm-hmm. business model. But for our sector on the commercial side and the equipment, um, I think we're going to see a few things. One is um, maintenance, you know, I think that we're looking at a generation of business owners that are less interested in taking parts off the machine and taking apart the engine, these kinds of things. I think a previous generation of landscapers were more interested in that mechanical side of things. Mm -hmm. I think today's generation of, of landscapers, um, less maybe hands-on with the equipment, but much more sophisticated on the business management side of it. Right. And so that's an interesting dynamic to see. And I think part of how we support that is making equipment that, 
is inherently more reliable and requires less maintenance and less care um, and a, a really efficient uh, life, type, life cycle cost on the equipment. So that's some of the features that we see in the ZXT where I think we're going to see in, in other products as well. Uh, electrification, uh, that's a huge question. There's a lot of people that have a huge amount of interest in moving to an electric mower. But I think one of the things that's a huge challenge here is that batteries are very expensive right now per kilowatt hour. But also, um, there's a lot of other things in our society that is that wants to be electrified. And I think there's a reality that there's other industries and other devices that will pay more for electrification than a mower. One thing that's challenging about a mower is we're doing flat out constant work. You know, that's, it's, it's like a bulldozer or a tractor where it's just constantly pushing full throttle. Whereas a vehicle where you're driving and then coasting and braking and these types of things, much, much uh, better for electrification. You look at the amount of consumer electronics that people are using, all kinds of things that we used to plug in, we now have a battery on them. And um, look at the transport side of things. You're seeing a ton of batteries going to that space. You look at the power wall type stuff. So all those applications, I would say, have this, you may say, higher priority for electrification than a mower. And so I think that puts us somewhere in the lower third of electrification of devices in the world. And right now, you know, per kilowatt hour, batteries are up under $120, $130. I think when we get down to about half that price, it'll really pick up a lot of speed where we'll see um, more battery power replacing engines and fuel. So I think that we're going to see more entrants get into the market. There's applications where it might be um, a site that wants uh, quiet equipment there. Noise regulations actually will probably push this a little bit more than environmental regulations, but there'll be other sites that are interested in... um, you know, from a pollution on-site standpoint, naturally you're, you're going to produce electricity, you're going to produce batteries. So there's mm-hmm. other, you know, environmental effects of those things. But in terms of the site, they really are going to want the electric equipment. So that's going to create the core start of this transition. But I don't think it's going to go extremely fast. I think it'll have a healthy rate of change over a decade or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to be really interesting to watch that. I bring it up and talk about it because it's something that's on so many people's mind today. Um, I think for us as a company, our work in, in autonomous operation is um, a lot of our learning curve towards electrification. A lot of the same problems that we have to um, solve apply to, to making electric mowers because we're driving by wire here. Right, right. right. 100%. Well, as always, uh, thank you for all of your insight and, and sharing you know, all the ins and outs uh, of the, the business and the state of the industry. And you know, you're, I think you're a resource more than just making mowers, you know, in, in the community, you know, for, for, for our industry. So I definitely appreciate it. I know you're, you know, very active on social media, which has been a big, a big draw to, to all of that and, and, and people realizing that, you know, so that's, that's awesome. So where, where, if anyone does want to reach out to you, you know, what, what, you know, platforms do you, do you care to be a, a part of? <laughs> sure. <laughs> what, yeah. What? So, so, um, our, our company has a YouTube channel. We, we try to put, put up a video every week. Uh, you know, the approach there is our customer success is our success. Uh, there's, there's no alternative agenda. So it's not, um, you know, it's not highly produced. It's real, pretty practical stuff. Put a, put a video every week. And then uh, I can be, fi- be found on Facebook or Instagram. 
when we get into things like TikTok, I'm not really sure what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but Facebook and Instagram, I'm out there. Our, we, our company has a couple channels and, and I have um, Ed O'Wright on Instagram or Ed Wright on Facebook. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for that. And now it's time for the pod decks, the infamous <laughs> pod decks here. So we're going to give them a good shuffle. There we go. Don't be scared. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> it's all good fun. So let's make sure it's shuffled real good this time. All right. Some crispy new cards here. So it's a lot of cards. So I try to fan them out as much as possible. But, you know, you just go for it there and you read it and go for it. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Oh, you start off with a deep one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have... Staying focused, my attention span can go all over the place and, and whatnot. And, and, and part of my role is to, you know, be addressing certain things. Right. One thing I love about it, you know, any, any day I'm not doing the same thing, but... Um, it, you know, can be, I, it can be a gift and a curse. I I, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I always aspire to being a more disciplined person, you know, like just having a very precision work, workflow and, you know, exactly a, a organized formula of how right. I do things and do life. But um, but I, I naturally like the flexibility and, yeah, you know sort of free, free attention span thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear you there. I, I can, I mean, as the CEO, like you said, it, it's, it's good and bad, right? Because it, it, you have to be doing a lot of things, but at the same time, you're like, I need to stay focused sometimes. And I'm just bouncing all over the place because I have to. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I hear you on that. Let's, let's try another one. If you have a hundred K to donate to a charity or create a charity, what would you do? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I, I'll kind of give a two-part answer here. So one thing that I'm interested a lot in is like, you know, STEM for kids, you know, science, technology, robotics, these types of things. Um, I think that I grew up deconstructing everything. You know, I was kind of known as the person to give broken stuff to and I would fix it. And I learned so much by taking things apart and rebuilding or making other things from them. I was just always a creator mechanical electrical type things and that's also like what i love doing today you know right I, that's what i do as a, as a living and um and, and i love that and so i i could see at some level getting involved in helping to support that kind of thing or being directly involved mm-hmm. um the other thing is uh i i lived in east africa for a little bit more than a year i met my wife out there and wow. she was uh, from chicago and she was working over there as well and um, we met what, there a couple of years later. What were, we started you doing, what were you doing out there? You were working? Yeah. So it was shortly after getting out of college. I had a, a degree in mechanical engineering mm-hmm. and I was, you know, is, is the mower business what I want to do or this or whatever. So I figured give it, give it kind of a tenure in this. And um, there was an organization, a Christian organization that had uh, an, uh, an outreach for teaching. There was um, a clinic, health clinic there. And then there was, um, a farm that, you know, created jobs for people that didn't otherwise have an income and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, this was in a place called Karamoja up on the Eastern escarpment of Uganda. Mm. Um, you know, kind of way out there, hundreds of miles from the nearest paved road type situation. <laughs> wow. And my involvement there was around, um, physical infrastructure. So we were doing things like, um, building buildings or, uh, drilling wells was something I got involved in. I actually designed and built and exported some equipment, uh, to try to do that. What I was trying to address at the time is a lot of well drilling equipment costs half a million dollars. 
And even just to get on site could cost $2,000 in fuel. Right. And I was trying to build uh, well drilling equipment that you could get to about a 200 foot deep well with a 7,000 pound trailer, something you could pull with a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. So now you're talking about getting on site and drilling well with a few hundred dollars of fuel. And, you know, if you can get a well in the ground for $1,500 instead of $15,000 would be kind of going right in, in a place like that. Now you're at a point where a village could look at selling two or three cows and putting in a well. And so you know, I, was, I was trying to develop, you know, what, what would a sustainable level of equipment that could be making it so that it's very serviceable um, without complicated tools or equipment or precision mm-hmm. uh, parts. So, so that was fun. I, I could see myself getting involved in something like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just in terms of the phases of life right now, it's about uh, family and, and um, growing this business. Yeah, for sure. Do you we want to do one more? You have time for one more? Sure. Wasn't that bad, right? <laughs> Not too bad. Let's see if we can get some super crazy one here. <laughs> super crazy. <laughs> what is your most treasured possession? There you go. Um, Not super crazy, but it's just kind of fun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, so... I would say I'm not a full minimalist, but you know, I, I, I travel fairly light in, in life. You know, I've, um, my mom always said, when in doubt, throw it out. You know, like I, the things in your life can bog you down. Yeah. They can limit your, you know, your options. You know, you, they, they tie you up. They take your time. They take your consciousness, these types of things. Um, so what's my most treasured possession? I, I kind of have a hard time nailing it down. Um, in terms of physical objects, I don't know that there there really is a, a major thing there. I mean, certainly my my kids, you know, they're the apple of my eye. You know, I think that's right. One of the most important things in my life, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess that's just a point that you you know you don't have a whole lot of physical possessions. You don't really obsess over that kind of thing, right? Like the material things and all that stuff. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for playing along. I think that was, uh, that was fun. And, you know, we'll keep evolving this little segment as time goes on. And, uh, again, I appreciate you for your time. Uh, I know you're a busy guy for sure. (laughs) Even more so now that you're the CEO of Wright Manufacturing. So, uh, I wish you all the best this spring season and I look forward to seeing you again at hopefully some live event when things start clearing up a little bit. Yeah. Things will clear up soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Hey guys, before you head out, if you could do me a quick favor and go on the podcasting app that you're listening to this episode on and click follow or subscribe, it would mean a lot. Thanks. Mr. Producer here, and if you're enjoying Naylor's podcast, I recommend you head on over to his YouTube channel at LCR and see what else he's doing for the community and become a part of the LCR Media Network. Just click join next to the subscribe button and you'll have instant access to exclusive training videos, a private Facebook group to network with other members, and live streams with Naylor. You'll get access to every YouTube video before anybody else does, and you can even schedule Zoom one-on-one video calls with the Lawn Care Rookie and talk about anything you may need help with in your business, like best types of equipment, going part-time to full-time, how to get the best route density, finding your ideal clients, finding employees, or just anything else you need help with. Again, all of this exclusive access is for LCR Media Network members only. Just click join next to the subscribe button on the LCR YouTube channel and be a rookie for life. This has been an LCR Media and Mr. Producer production.